From the Amplify Growth Studios in Alexandria, Virginia, this is Association Chat with your host, Kiki Latayan. But before I get started, before I get started, I want to give a big thanks and shout out to our wonderful sponsor, Fontiva, the AMS for innovation, for their ongoing support of Association Chat and the Association community. Check out Fontiva.com to find out about Fontiva for associations, Fontiva for events, Fontiva for government, and more. Check them out. Go see them, Fontiva.com. So with that, and hi, Facebook. Hi, Facebook Live, folks. I see you over there. Um, and I'm so glad you're joining us. With that, welcome. Welcome to Association Chat, your weekly online discussion for the association community where we warm ourselves by the virtual fire with the topics of the day, welcoming thought leaders and trailblazers alike to join up in this online home for the community. I'm the host of Association Chat, Kiki Latalian, and this week we're recording during National Volunteer Week, a week when we recognize our volunteers for the great work that they do. And for associations, this is especially important because our members and our volunteers oftentimes are the ones who are doing a lot of heavy lifting for all of the great work that we try to do. So I suppose it makes it only fitting that for this episode of Association Chat that we're looking at the state of the association industry and the hopes and the challenges facing the leaders responsible for its future. It's been a few years since Race for Relevance and uh, Buyer's next book, Road to Relevance were published. And in that short time, there have been many changes as questions about everything from data privacy to blockchain for credentialing have found their way into the orbits of anyone and everyone in the association community. Uh, are race's five radical changes still the right initiatives association execs need to employ to energize in governance, management, and strategy? What has Mary Byers witnessed in her experiences with associations since the books came out? Have associations become more nimble or are we still in danger of losing out to commercial enterprises that can supply the same benefits with speed? What should association leaders be paying attention to these days to better navigate their careers and the futures of their organizations in the age of continuous disruption with us today to help answer all of those questions and more is our guest, Mary Byers. And Mary is a strategic planning facilitator and association coach and the author of Race for Relevance, Five Radical Changes for Associations and Road to Relevance, Five Strategies for Competitive Associations. That's a mouthful and I'm ready for you to talk. Hi, welcome, Mary. I am so happy to be here. Uh, and truly, if we can solve all of the things that you just <laughs> outlined, uh, we're going to be in good shape. Good. Okay. All right. So I, for all of you tuning in, this was the time to tune in. We're going to solve these things today. Um, so let's talk a little bit about these books. Let's just jump right into it and the impact that they've had in the association space. Now, I don't know if everybody watching has, you know, if you're familiar, but if you've been around for a little while, you've heard about these books. They are mentioned, they are referenced regularly. When you, Mary, and your co-author published these, they made a lot of noise. These books made a lot of noise. And so I want you to talk to me, talk with us about the books themselves, what's happened to your conversations with colleagues and clients. And in this association space since the books came out? 
We were extremely gratified and uh, pleasantly surprised, quite honestly, that, uh, that the books had the reaction that they did. Uh, we were writing about things we were seeing routinely with clients. We knew that they were affecting most associations in some way, shape, or form. We had no idea, frankly, how widely they would resonate or what the, um, what the implications would be when boards together started reading these. All of my work really could be summed up in one word, but I wasn't able to articulate this when the book's first released. But, you know, now with hindsight, looking back, it's really about the question about sustainability mm -hmm. and our association business models sustainable in such a rapidly changing environment. Uh, for some associations, I think the answer is yes. And for some, I think the answer is no. Uh, and Every association is unique. It has unique culture, unique tradition, unique history, unique governance. And so the book, in, in hindsight, really were permission giving. They gave associations permission to talk about the things that were challenging, the things that were maybe not easy, the things that were hard, the things that were taboo in some ways. So I really think what the books did is they gave association leaders and boards permission to start having different conversations. And that's still what drives me in my work today is, is the one thing I know for sure is that the way we change the future is to change the questions that we're asking today. See, I love that. Um, anybody who watches this show very regularly knows that I'm fascinated with asking better questions. And so I think that when you come to focusing on asking maybe the right questions or investigating that sort of line of thinking, things can get pretty interesting pretty pretty quickly. Um, on that note, let me ask you another question. Um, one thing that gets brought up a lot uh, with the people that I talk to, they talk about, I mean, race for relevance. Um, some of these books are like Bibles to association folks. And so for just so everybody knows, race for relevance is broken down into five topics. They, you talk about overhauling the governance model, a favorite empowering the CEO and enhancing staff competence, rigorously defining the member market, rationalizing programs and services, building a robust technology framework. And, and those five things, those five areas you're saying, it, well, then those were the, it was like, let's, let's change these things. And, and that's what we need to do. Any good leader needs to address these issues. Are these still the topics you go with today if you had to write an updated version of the book? Absolutely. Yep. No question. But there's more. <laughs> there's more. That's, that's challenging us. Yes. yes. So uh, that, that would be probably the first uh, two thirds of the book. Okay. And there are some topics which I look forward to talking about today, which I think are the next topics. But the things that make these such timeless issues is that if you don't have the right governance, if mm -hmm. you don't have the right synergy between staff and your leaders, if your value proposition isn't strong, if you're trying to be too many things to too many different people, all of that weakens the core of who the association is. And actually, you know, you hear the with shampoo, the wash, rinse, repeat. <laughs> yeah. I pretty much think that if you're an association executive, those five things that you just articulated, once you get down to 
the technology piece, I think you need to go back and start again uh, and, and continue asking, is our governance nimble? Is it what it should be? Do we have the right leaders uh, leading the association? Do we have the right staff and leadership marriage going on? Is there a way that could be improved? And on through the whole, through that whole cycle. And I really think that that's an association professional's job is to make sure that while all the daily business is going on and all the deadlines are being met, that there's a structure within the organization that makes it sustainable. And it goes back to that sustainability question again. Um, I'm a member of a couple of associations myself right now that I believe are teetering on the brink of irrelevance and they may be moving into what I call the association death spiral. Mm. And once that spiral starts, it's very hard to reverse. I don't think these associations will cease to exist, but I don't believe they will exist as they have in the past. So let's talk about the death spiral. What does that look like? How do you know if you're in it? I mean, I would, I would hope that I would know if I were in it, but... <laughs> But <laughs> sometimes, you sometimes, know. you know, there's a lot of denial yeah. and sometimes it's easier. And, and often I don't see the denial so much in staff, mm -hmm. but I sometimes will see the denial in association leaders uh, who might just want to kick the can down the road or pass the problem on to the next board or the next president, whatever the case may be. Uh, certainly your numbers will let you know if you're in a death spiral, if you're membership is declining, if participation in events is declining, if your retention rate is declining, those are sure markers that uh, turbulence may be ahead. Uh, you want to, we talk a lot about engagement, but I think we have to define what engagement really is. Mm -hmm. um, but, but part of the death spiral could be that, that numbers start declining, budgets get tighter. So we start really cutting corners and sometimes cutting corners in the smallest ways, like no longer including breakfast in a meeting or no longer having coffee breaks. Members start to think, well, hey, I used to, you know, they compare. I used to come to this meeting five years ago and all meals were included. Right. And now right. I'm spending more to be a, a member and more to come to the events and I'm actually getting less value for my money. And, and so that's plants a seed. And then yeah. members start really measuring what am I getting for my dues dollar? And so that's where I think the spiral can start very quietly, but yeah. once it, once you start into it, it, it's really hard. It's like a plane. It's really hard to pull out of it. Yeah. Gosh. Oh, you know, I, and I, as you were, as you were talking, I was thinking about examples where I had been at things where it's like, okay, I, I can compare if you're around, you hope for retention, right? So these people have been around, they've seen how things have progressed and they can compare and contrast from one year to the next. Um, Howard has, a, hi Howard, has a great uh, question for you. Is there often a dynamic balance between leaders and denial yet staff sounding overly loud or misplaced alarm bells. Let's see, let me think. Yeah, okay, okay. That, you know, that's a, that's a great question. And one of the things I think we have to be 
as staff professionals, we have to be really careful about is we don't want to be perceived as being naysayers Mm -hmm. and always being negative because that gets tiresome for the board. We have to uh, be can-do possibility thinkers, uh, but at the same time, we have to be realistic about what we can do. So rather than pushing back and saying, well, that won't work, or I don't think we should try this, or we have too much to do already, or we can't afford that, I like to suggest that going back to questions, that we start gently leading through questions. And those questions might sound like this. Um, You know, we have three things that are really important right now. Of those three, which two are most important? Mm -hmm. Or can you help us prioritize those? Uh, It might also be, uh, if if you had to choose between this or between that, which is most important? Uh, Some of it can be, I'm really big on boards setting aside time for not just strategic planning, but some strategic conversations around trends that are coming down the road, what it means for the organization. Um, I've had two organizations this year whose whose boards have really been holding on to funding, yet they've been telling the staff, uh, we need better meetings, we need more marketing. We need uh, to be more active on social media, and yet they haven't changed any of the resources that staff has to do this. Yet in both of these cases, they were sitting on millions of dollars in reserve money. So we had a conversation about what reserve money is for, what your risk tolerance is. And I think if you're uh, listening, having a question around risk and how comfortable you are with it as a board is really, really important. Um, So those questions then can help lead the board into a greater understanding. And in the two cases I just mentioned, uh, the board actually released some of the reserves that they had been clinging really tightly to Mm -hmm. because they saw that if they made an investment now, they likely were to have additional revenue down the road because a revamped meeting would lead to more people participating or um, a new meeting that one of them was considering actually would bring in more international members and then that would lead to revenue. So I think we have to change some of the conversations and lead through questions rather than declarative statements. And uh, Howard, I hope maybe that gives you some ideas on on that balance because there is a balance required, but we also have a responsibility as association professionals to make sure that our volunteer leaders have the information they need to make good decisions. You know, guys, I, I, I often fall in love with my association chat guests, but I have to say that I am just, I love the way that this conversation is going. I love hearing this and it's, it's inspiring. And Patty agrees. She says, yes, strategic plans often sit on the shelf, but then they don't know how to move forward on any of their key initiatives. And we have a couple of other questions that came in. One from John saying, what about the opposite of Howard's question? Staff being optimistic, but boards being too pessimistic. What about that? Um, I actually see that a fair amount. Um, (laughs) And, you know, it's not surprising. So let me just give you a couple of examples. Let's say you are a physician and you used to own your own practice. Mm -hmm. And so you had a lot to say with with how things happened and what was happening. Now you are part of a large uh, health clinic. Uh, You have had to learn how to use electronic records. You now have mandates placed over your head. 
uh, and you have to see a certain number of patients each day, which means you can spend less time with each patient. So the practice of medicine has changed tremendously for you. So I, a lot of times I see a heaviness of heart in board members because the way they do what they do for a living has changed and, and that spills into the boardroom. Yeah. And so if we can open up some space in our board meetings, so it's not just all parliamentary procedure and motions and votes, if we can open up some space to talk about what's changed, to talk about the impacts, to talk about fear. I do a lot of work with bar associations. Mm -hmm. Technology is really changing the practice of law. Uh, Legal Zoom, Rocket Lawyer, Avu, I can go on an app and get legal help, which previously I would have to pay hundreds of dollars for and have to wait in line to talk to an attorney for. There, the practice is changing so rapidly, it's almost breathtaking. So I think we have to recognize that some of the pessimism actually comes from stress and fear. And then ask ourselves, how can we create a safe space within the boardroom so that we can talk honestly about where this pessimism is coming from and then decide what you might be able to do as a board together to restore hope because i really believe that hope is part of what associations are about offering hope that you can help me be successful yeah and that you can protect my ability to do what i do so protection and success those are the two reasons that members join associations that's what they believe you can deliver that they can't do for themselves. Yes, protection and success. So we got the opposite of Howard's question answered, but this one's hard, I think. Uh, do you have any examples of associations that have successfully pulled out of the death spiral? Amanda asks that and Aaron said, yeah, and how? How did they do it? First of all, you have to realize you're in a death spiral before yeah. you can pull out. Uh, second of all, you have to take a, uh, and this is going to sound really basic, but it's it's extremely important. You, you have to get back to basics. I think a lot of times we have strayed from the real reason that we're in business to begin with, mm -hmm. and we've got to we've got to get the fundamentals right. We've got to go take a look at everything. Uh, what we're doing that's engaging members, what's working well, what's not working well. Uh, frankly, some associations that are in a death spiral are just stale. They've yeah. done nothing new for members. They've introduced nothing new for members. They're doing the same meetings in the same way. They're pulling out last year's agenda, changing the dates, filling in new speaker names, but it's the exact same format. So we need to get back to, to basics. Number one, make sure we're doing what we need to be doing. Number two, we need to make sure we're not stale. And if we are stale, we need to figure out how we can change that. Not change for change sake, but change for a very purposeful reason. Uh, next, I think we have to be better about talking about our value proposition. Mm -hmm. The reason a lot of groups are in a death spiral is because members or potential members don't really understand what they do. We have to be better at telling our association story. That's, that's a key. And then we have to really ask some of the hard questions about sustainability. 
I have one client now who does not believe that their current model is sustainable. Mm -hmm. So rather than trying to turn the Titanic around and change the governance model and, and, and do, frankly, some of the things that we talked about in Race for Relevance, uh, this association CEO is actually building the association of the future now. Wow as a parallel association. Wow. So it's not threatening the current association in any way. Uh, but he's also betting that the association of the future is not going to be a face-to-face -face association or a website. Uh, he's betting that it's all going to be app-based. Huh. So when How you take, yes, okay. I think so too. And I learned yeah. so much from my clients. It's such a privilege to be able to watch smart people at work. <laughs> I love that. I am, um, I am fascinated by that. And I, I want to dig in more, but please, please go ahead. I interrupted. Um, yeah, no, no, no. We will dig in more. So okay. this is where the conversation I think becomes so important. So yeah. you can start with a very simple question. If the association of tomorrow is app based, mm -hmm. what does that mean for us? And then you can get a cascade of questions that, that go from there. Well, if it is app-based, what kinds of things need to be on that app? What kind of expertise do we need to build that out that we don't currently have? How could we pilot that? Where could we find a group to pilot it with? Could we find some collaborative partners that might come along the way? Um, and, and I will be the first to admit that asking the questions is, is a lot easier than actually answering them. <laughs> um, but I think right. a lot of times we don't ask the questions, A, because we don't know the answers, or B, because we're afraid of, mm -hmm. of what the answers will be. So um, I, I think it's a great time to be an association professional because there are just so many opportunities and so many different ways we can, we can respond to this. It is difficult though, if you have a board that doesn't catch the vision. Yes, yes. And so, okay, let's talk about the board situation because almost everybody who is working with an association in an association, maybe they're serving on, everyone can identify with the issues that can come up between staff and working with the board and, you know, the communication issues that arise. And so uh, one of the things that you had brought up on is that the race for relevance with the five different, five different topics, one of the big shockers to folks at the time was of reducing the board to five, was it five five people. It was. Right. right. And so, and so, and I, I was like in researching for this uh, interview, I, I ran across where somebody, you know, they were actually digging down into this, like, you know, how can they possibly do this? And this was something that I think had a lot of pushback, but people were really interested in it because the boards out there. So, there are. <laughs> you know, can you can you speak to this a little bit about sure. um, do you still think it should be five and like a little bit more about the governance piece of it? Uh, five really is. Uh, we didn't pull that number from the air that, you know, psychologists tell us that five to seven is a good number because everybody can take ownership. Yep. And decisions can be made quickly. And since we're looking at being more nimble size does matter. Uh, there is some new research out that says that the average size of a board is on the decline. And uh, right now it's 15. And many of you 
viewing this are probably thinking 15, I would be happy with 15 because my board is 60 or 200 or 400. Uh, you got to remember that Harrison and I have worked with some associations that have incredibly immense boards. I think anything under 20 uh, certainly is better than 200. Um, you know, if you can get it to 15, great. If you can get it to 12, even better. There are some boards that are working with five, mm -hmm. uh, but, but five isn't a magic number. Yeah. It, it needs to be something that's nimble. Um, and I've seen clients that have gone from 55 down to 30. It's still a move in the right direction. Uh, some are doing it by attrition. Some are doing it by uh, a governance review and, you know, retooling what the association looks like. Uh, some are taking their big boards and making them advisory boards. You know, frankly, some executive committees are the size uh, of, of a board. Um, and so maybe it's a, a smaller group within that. There's lots of ways to do this. The, mat, the number isn't nearly as important as the ability to get everybody on board and swimming in the same direction, right. which is much harder the larger the board is partly because people aren't engaged. If I'm in a room of 49 and I know I'm only going to be able to talk every three hours, well, then of course <laughs> I'm going to be on, on eBay yeah. and Facebook and uh, going through my own personal email. So mm -hmm. even with a big board, though, there are ways to get engagement. I'm a big fan of small group discussions and, and having those conversations first and then taking action after those conversations have been held. Yeah. And I, I just have to say that the people who are watching with us on Crowdcast and, and typing into the chat call, there are a lot of you who are saying at 200, you would basically commit suicide. <laughs> <laughs> so that's good. I'm glad that you don't have that many on your board. <laughs> um, so yeah, so these, these, these government governance issues, what to do with the boards, how to, and, and the thing that I ran into online was this organization was trying to figure out how to implement what you'd suggest, what you'd suggested in the book and talking about this progression into slowly bringing the, their numbers down where it was more manageable and they could be more nimble. Um, so how does an organization know if it's nimble enough? How does it know if maybe it isn't moving as quickly as it should? What are some of maybe the, the telltale signs? Uh, uh, the best advice I can give is to sit down with a blank piece of paper and a pen mm -hmm. and write down every missed opportunity you've had over the last two to three years because you couldn't get your board together quickly enough because your house of delegates wasn't going to meet for another nine months. Yeah. Anything that re required a quick response that you were not able to do. I know that that's the purpose of executive committees and where executive committees come in and they should be used in that instance. But I'm also seeing cases where there's disengagement from the rest of the board because the executive committee is in fact the de facto board. I also surprisingly see association professionals taking more to the board than they really need to. Okay, okay. So I would encourage, and I know it's hard to shift what you have been doing with what you could be doing or maybe should be doing in the future, but I would ask everybody to be thinking about 
making a list of the kinds of things you take to the board and then sifting through and asking if every single one of those really needs to go to the board. Yeah. I'll be candid. I think that sometimes we cover our own behinds, mm -hmm. take it to the board and get permission because that way, if something doesn't work out perfectly, we're covered. Right. This is where I think a risk tolerance conversation is extremely important. I believe that associations need to be conducting multiple experiments. And let's make sure we talk about some of those before we finish today, because this is important to the future of associations. Yeah. Find out what experiments and what the risk tolerance is, and then set up some experiments. And then hopefully you can get permission from your board to go run those experiments to recalibrate without their input. And then when everything is said and done, bring that information back to the board for informational purposes and to keep them up to speed with what you're doing. But setting something up where we go and do and then we have to come back and then go and do and have to come back, sometimes just the way we work makes us less nimble than we need to be. We have to remember that we're paid to do the business of the board, right. of the association, and sometimes uh, it, it's better. What do they say? It's better to uh, ask forgiveness yeah. than it is to ask permission. <laughs> yeah, I'm very familiar with that saying. Uh, it's kind of most of my early, my best early work was done that way. Uh, and you know what? I, I, Kiki, I, why don't we act as if this is our early work? I think sometimes we get too complacent. And I fall I into too. this myself and something that I wrestle with on a regular basis. Uh, I, was, I was more of a risk taker. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't ever want to get complacent. I don't ever want to stop pushing or striving. Uh, but I do find that the that the more work I have and the deeper I get into my work, uh, there's less of some of that earlier stuff happening. So uh, maybe you and I could make a commitment to to go back and, and hey, revisit our youth together. We can, we can be accountability buddies and totally check <laughs> I like in. That. Are you feeling a little nervous? No? Okay, <laughs> we need to push harder. So Erin's saying she was just having the conversation with a colleague about this yesterday. Hey, they hired you as an exec to make certain decisions without oversight. You shouldn't be checking back with the board, basically, you know, on every little thing. Uh, Howard shares that he worked with an executive director who insisted that the board books be shrink wrapped and unnecessary and expense in the view of some, but he did it solely to see which board members pulled them from their backpacks still wrapped or unwrapped. And if they couldn't be bothered to read it on the plane, he called them out about it, which is kind of interesting. I think that that's, that's, uh, I don't know. I, I worked with a board where I think all of them, they hadn't even opened it up their board books at all until they got there. And most of them were checking. I don't know if it's eBay or their email, but they weren't, they weren't on board for the board meeting. So yeah. So think about how difficult it is to try to do your best work yeah. as an association professional on behalf of the association when that's the kind of engagement or support we're getting. I mean, that for many 
professionals is the reality that the board is not reading materials. They are not prepping. And yeah. what just saddens me about this is that this is not, we're not talking about clubs. This isn't a stamp collecting club or, you know, a horseback riding club. We, we are talking about people's livelihoods yeah. are at stake in, in many well, cases. And I livelihoods, think the industries that they represent. I mean, there's absolutely, a lot. Yeah. Absolutely. And the more challenged the industry is, the more important it is that we get the best and brightest on the board, the visionaries, the problem solvers, and often the way we recruit for our boards doesn't allow that to happen. Yeah, absolutely. I actually, what do you think that, and I'm, I'm going to dig into this just a little bit more since it's obviously hitting, hitting a nerve with a lot of people on here today, um, and then go into some of what you've seen with regard to how association professionals and executives can better lead uh, their own careers and, and the things that they do. But I just want to dig into the board piece just a little bit more. Um, this communication uh, dysfunction that happens between staff and the board so often. Um, any advice? I know that that's very generic as far as a question is concerned, but you're kind of brilliant with everything I've thrown to you so far. So <laughs> I figured that I'd just throw this one out there too. I mean, what's Thank some you. good advice for communication efforts between the board and staff? Uh, number one, I think we're over communicating. Okay. In many cases. And so when the, uh, when the board gets a 176 page document, to read before the board meeting, it's a little overwhelming. And so they give up before yeah. they even get started. So I think we have to self-censor. Um, I am not suggesting that you hold anything back, that you hide anything or that you're not transparent, but I do think we need to assemble the board books mm -hmm. and then go through them a second time and ask, does everything really need to be included? Yeah. So I, I think we can do a smaller board, uh, I'm calling them books, but so many people do online now, it's not really a book. And uh, Howard, unfortunately, the shrink wrap was a fabulous <laughs> idea. We need to figure out how, how to shrink wrap the links that yeah. we send. Although I know in many cases you can. Yeah. Yep. You yeah. can find out who opened and uh, who actually did some work. So that's a good thing. Um, but we, we need to make it manageable and, and give them the high points. What do they really need to know? Uh, the next thing I think we need to do, if we can, anytime we can, we should think about moving away from full reports to any kind of infographics. Mm -hmm. uh, one client that I work with uses something called PictoChart. Mm -hmm. Uh, to actually do reports for the board. And with that, those infographics, board members can see how the numbers are looking. Uh, registration up or down, retention up or down, budgets up or down, reserves up or down. And so in 30 seconds as a board member, I can get the information I need that might have taken me an hour before. I also think we need to be using more video. Yeah. And, and communicating more often in between board meetings. And so I've seen some groups where the president will actually send out a brief video. Maybe the executive director will send out a brief video. Here's the link to your board materials, but here are the three most important things that we're gonna be wrestling with. Uh, be sure to look at such and such page. Mm -hmm. So we need to 
take, uh, we, we kind of need to mirror the environment that our board members are living in now yeah. in, in terms of making things uh, quick down and dirty. Um, and then, as I said previously, I think we need to really be asking ourselves, do we need uh, to be to be checking in with the board on this at this meeting. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes the reports are eating up precious time. And then finally, the last thing I would think about is what are, when you have your board face-to-face, -face, what is the best, the highest and best use of that face-to-face -face time? Mm -hmm. I happen to think that, that we need to be having more high-level conversations about what's coming down the pike, uh, how we could disrupt ourselves, what happens, you know, if A happens and B happens, then what does that mean for us? We need to be having those conversations face-to-face -face in a safe environment because it's too hard to have those uh, via an online, you know, Zoom meeting or a conference call. And that's the last thing I think I would say. Um, we need to get rid of old audio only conference calls. Yeah. We need to have video. And part of the reason is, we know what happens on an audio call. Same thing as before. People are checking their cell phones. They're checking email. Um, I've even heard people clipping their toenails oh my God. On, on meetings <laughs> before. And I think it's a little harder to do that uh, uh, if you are on video and you can see whether or not I'm paying attention. Oh, clipping toenails. I have to say that would be, and that's an, and you would, you would identify that sound, right, guys? I mean, you would identify that sound. You would know what this it was. This person actually, when called on the carpet, this person actually fessed up. Otherwise, I'm not sure. I would have been able to determine if it was toenails or, or fingernails. But oh, uh, oh my yeah. gosh. But, but the fact that they even were willing to admit it, and they thought they were being funny. Yeah. But again, I'm thinking to myself, you are dealing with your colleague's livelihood. <laughs> I think it deserves a little <laughs> bit more attention than this. Yeah, I love the comments. And I, uh, like I was saying about the report here, uh, I'm sorry, is someone clipping their nails? That's brilliant. I love that. <laughs> Lots of people enjoying this. So, okay. So we, we talked about the communication uh, between staff and board, and I love your response. I am going to go back and make, I'm going to try, guys, I'm going to try to make a sidebar out of this and some stuff that you can download a little bit later from associationchat.com or go to Mary Byers, go to her website. I'm sure she has a lot of resources there that you can check out. But I want to go into, before we got on the interview today, we were kind of talking ahead of time, and you said, well, okay, so something I've noticed since, and if I were to write a book today, this is what I'd focus on. And so why don't we go that direction? Why don't you share with everyone else what, what you shared with me? What would that book look like? I am going to do a really high level on this, Kiki. I'll run through a couple of things quickly. And then uh, if, if things stick or people want to know more about it, uh, they can, uh, you know, type in the chat box. And so that'll help guide us where we want to go. Okay. Um, one, I would be really focused on building a strong onboarding program. Okay. Um, dynamic benchmarking and uh, Kaiser Insights, and I know Amanda's on the call today, so hi, Amanda, uh, did a new member engagement study, and they found some really compelling evidence there. Uh, they did research with 160 associations, and it showed that new member engagement programs increase new member renewal rates on average 
by 9.7%, so nearly 10%. So if you're in, if your renewal rates have been low, uh, a new member onboarding program, I think is a must. And I am surprised by how many associations don't don't do one or or they kind of have a weak one. So that would be one area that I would be focused on. The other thing that I think is absolutely critical to be looking at is business model. Mm -hmm. uh, we need to really, really be thinking about this. I see some associations that are moving to a tiered membership model. Uh -huh. uh, the Colorado Veterinary Medical Association did this in 2016 and they were able to increase membership by 11, over 11% uh, because they gave members the opportunity really to pick their own adventure, they called it. And it was really tied to career stage. So uh, tiered pricing is important. The other thing I think we need to be thinking about is the subscription model. Uh, uh, Robbie Kelman Baxter wrote about this in her yeah. book called The Membership Economy. Uh, I think it's an excellent read, very thought-provoking, but we I have need it to right be back here. It's oh, one perfect! Of the red, it's one of the red books back here. You yes, are quite yes. organized. If you looked at my bookcase, you would not <laughs> see organization by color. And I'm just happy to get the books into my bookshelf when I'm when I'm done reading. It's, so it's uh, sad. I'm like, oh, it's another orange book. Now what? You know. <laughs> so let me know what you don't have, and maybe we'll do that a cover just for Kiki yes. in in uh, in the future. Yes. Um, so the subscription model and the reason the subscription model is so important is it is recurring revenue mm -hmm. and everybody's going to it. You look at the new uh, everything. I mean, a shave club. I can have a subscription to that. I can have meals, Blue Apron. I can have food delivered to me so I can have, you know, make my own home cooked meals. Yeah. Uh, there's actually bra and panty clubs now where I can join for a subscription and have those delivered on a monthly basis. So, me and these. Me and these. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Everything is going to the subscription model. So often things trickle down to associations from the corporate world. So we always need to be looking at, at what the corporate America is doing and then asking what implications they have for us. Auto renew, I think is another thing that, and, and that ties into the subscription piece. Um, I know of an insurance uh, uh, client and a, a bar association client that actually had their retention rates increase by 8% once they moved from old fashioned once a year uh, renewal notices to auto renew. It's the way things are going. It gives you money on a year round basis. And then think about the staff time you save if you are not sending out renewal notices and then sending out other renewal notices and then following up with lapsed members. Yeah, uh, we, yeah. We've got to be thinking about the business model. Uh, two other things to be thinking about. Segmentation. We've been talking about segmentation in the association uh, environment for years and years. Many, many of my clients are still not doing this or they're not doing this well. Yeah. You but, know, and that's the thing, you know, getting down into who it is that you're serving. If if there's one thing that is changing almost at the same pace that we have technology, the way that we do everything, like every industry is changing, lots of disruption out there. So it stands to reason that the people that we're serving, their lives, their needs, that's changing too. A lot of times their positions are changing. 
So let's talk a little bit about the segmentation piece. I know this is something that is carrying over from uh, the race to rally. You were saying that segmentation was important then. Why is it important now? Uh, A, uh, because it'll save you money. Okay. You know, if, yeah. if you know what percentage of your members are buying what, then you can market more heavily to them. Uh, I, I talked to a data specialist not too long ago who said that his uh, one of his clients really focused on the segmentation. And when they promote their annual meeting, they do promote it to everybody a little bit but they promote it, promote it most heavily and most often to people who attended the last annual mm -hmm. meeting or who've attended the last five because uh, they he goes under the basis that your last customer is still your best customer. And so if I've gone to the last five meetings, there's a good chance that I'll go to meeting number six. So mm -hmm. focus on me rather than trying to get somebody who's never attended a meeting before. And by doing that, you can save marketing dollars and, and put them where they really matter. The other thing is, is we can, uh, we can sell different packages to different segments. So uh, there was an optometric association um, in New York that realized it really had seven member segments, but what it would promote to somebody who's late career stage getting ready to retire mm -hmm. is very different than what they would promote to somebody who's been in practice five years or less. That's where tiered pricing and packaging really becomes important. So now instead of selling everything to everyone, we go in and we create different packages for different segments of the association. Does this complicate everything? Absolutely. But when you complicate it uh, on the front end, you actually are going to simplify things on the back end. Yeah. And hopefully it will make for a more robust organization. And I think that, um, so we have interesting discussion going on over here. Amanda's saying, I love monthly subscriptions. I love making the decision one time. And then it's just continuing on until I decide I'm done with it. Plus, I think seeing the charge every month makes you feel more engaged. If you see the money coming out every month, you're reminded that you're investing in that organization. So you'll be more engaged. I agree. I mean, sometimes there are things where I'm like, I'm not seeing the value. I don't know why I did this. And I pull out, which is good, I think, for the organization and myself, because, you know, it's just not going to happen. Or other times I see it and I'm like, oh, yeah, I really want to do something more with this. And it's a reminder that I need to get more involved. Amanda says, also think about segmenting that will help your association do engagement scoring, a big opportunity for associations. And then Erin has a question. She says, is segmenting the same as targeted, targeted marketing or is this more membership or both? Uh, the segmentation really happens first. Mm -hmm. It's the way you divide up your membership and then the target market comes as a result of segmentation um there you know th there's lots of ways to do this and i would say that none of them are really wrong as long as you're doing it um but but there are many professionals out there who can help you do this and do it well i wouldn't be one of those professionals <laughs> i just know uh that it's something that i would spend some time in and 
uh, space working on. And if my segmentation was done years ago and it hasn't been updated or questioned lately, I think that represents an opportunity. So one of the things that you had talked about earlier that you touched on was talking about the value proposition, really identifying the value prop proposition. You said that that associations can kind of be lousy about this, and this is a really important thing. Can can you talk a little bit more about that? Absolutely, and I won't say they can kind of be lousy about it. <laughs> I can say they are lousy. See, at I'm it. being diplomatic. I'm trying to be nice <laughs> and stuff, but yeah, I love it. You just cut to the chase. So yeah, so they're so lousy at it. Here, here's how this came about. Um, when, when I go into an association to work, I, I generally call uh, uh, volunteer leaders, uh, it might be the executive committee, it might be some random board members. And I will ask, uh, if I were a prospective member, uh, and, and we were talking, and I asked you, why should I join your association? What would you say? Mm. There is a lot of hemming and hawing that goes around. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of uh, listing. So, you know, we do this and we do this and we yes. do this and we do this. The hoping listing of the benefits. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, so benefits, not features. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I developed a process and I just call it telling your association story where an association can say in one sentence or less why you would want to join. And what you want to have happen in a prospective member is you want them to be so curious about what you've just told them that they start thinking, I wonder how they do that. Mm. So let me let me just read a couple of these to you. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I, I keep a running list because there are so few that are well done that I'd like to showcase those are, that are well done. Um, I'm a member of the National Speakers Association and their former executive director, just in conversation once, I heard him say, uh, we help our members speak more, speak better, and make more money. Nice. Now, if you're a speaker, wouldn't you like to speak more, speak better, and make more money? Yep. And if you're a prospective <laughs> member, you think, how do they do that? And so now we've changed it from us, you know, blathering at the prospective member to piquing their curiosity and getting them to come to us to find out a little bit more about us. Mm -hmm. um, the Grain and Feed Association of Illinois their value proposition is we help the grain and feed industry be safer, more profitable, and better informed. I mean, I love it. Safety like is that. a big issue. Absolutely. Safety is a big issue. And the more profitable piece, if I'm a elevator owner and I hear that, I'm going to wonder what they know or what they do that I'm not doing. Yeah. You know, how can they teach yeah. me? And that goes back to the whole question. How can they protect me? How can they make me more successful? Um, uh, there's a business fraternity that that says we help collegiate men and women develop the competencies to become principal business leaders. Uh -huh. How do they do that? Yeah. It, it is a very quick way to explain your value proposition. I think this is an important exercise. And then the other thing I notice when I talk to board members is everybody tells me something different. 
But think about how powerful it is if every volunteer leader and every staff member tells the same story to a prospective member. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You should join because. And then we get the value of consistency. We get the value of repetition. And then the other thing that a story has to be is it has to be memorable. Um, I don't really love association mission and visions because they are impractical, they aren't memorable, and they aren't repeatable. And, and they're there maybe to help you get focused. Great, yeah. fine. But when somebody asks why you should join, you should not be pointing to the mission or vision because those generally are done by committee. We squeeze everything we possibly can into them to the point that they're practically useless. Yeah. I love that because, you know, I, I can see, I'm glad that you said that because I could see where you might be tempted to go in and say, work with the, the staff around the table, the executive team around the table, work with, I mean, like everyone work with the board and say you, you scatter index cards. Each person gets an index card and what, what is this all about? What's your, what's your value proposition? What's your story? What's your organization's story? And I can imagine that they would try to sort of scramble and use their like little hidden, you know, cell phones or their, their open laptops on eBay and uh, search for what the vision statement is or the mission, which is not the story, right? That's not the story. So there's actually a resource that I know you're going to make available and it's a, it, I call it a fill in the blank recipe. And it is a worksheet that professionals can use. And I think it's an interesting exercise to do internally as a staff, uh, but also with your board, if you're interested in extending it that way. Interesting exercise to see if you can't distill down two sentences what your association does and if you can't agree on a one or two sentence story for your association by using the fill in the blank recipe well so for everyone who registered on crowdcast i can send that to you i'll send that resource mary already shared it with me i can send that to you through email after this and then for those of you who are listening to this later i will have it in the show notes and i'll upload it to associationchat.com so that you have it there too Wow. Oh my gosh. This hour has flown by. This is insane. And just fun. I love, you can tell, I love talking about this stuff. I, I know it's so good. Jessica's saying we use this worksheet and it worked beautifully. Amanda says, and it needs to be something she's talking about the, the, the value proposition. It needs to be something you can only get as a member. If people talk about lobbying, it's easy to think, great. They they'll lobby for me. Even if I don't join Aaron, it has been a wonderful association chat. So, we have a little bit of time left and I want to make sure that I get to talking about what you're working on now, what, what you think that leaders should be paying attention to, to better lead into the future. And if there's anything that we didn't cover that you thought, man, I really think that you guys need to know this before we go. Um, I just want to reiterate, you need to have a strong onboarding program. Uh, you need to be looking at your pricing. You need to be looking at tiered packaging mm -hmm. uh, and tiered uh, membership models. Segmentation is important. Uh, I believe you have to build a non-member strategy. 
sometimes we get so focused on how we're going to deal with our members. Uh, we forget that a large portion, uh, depending on the, the industry you're in or the profession yeah. that you serve, uh, sometimes we have more non-members than we do members. And getting to that sustainability issue, if you only have 30% of the market, that means 70% of the market is unserved. But if you can serve those individuals at a higher price, mm-hmm. you are building and bringing in revenue that actually helps you with your member value proposition. So I think a non-member strategy is extremely important. A couple of other thoughts. I I think uh, association professionals have to get comfortable with ambiguity. Mm -hmm. Uh, the The future is changing rapidly. We don't know what's next. Uh, so it's, we almost have to be more comfortable with discomfort than we are more comfortable with comfort. And I think that's important so that we don't become complacent. What is that? I, There's a, oh, sorry. No, you yeah, no, go ahead. I'm going to look up the quote that I was thinking of, and then you go, you go right now and tell me the other thing. All right. All right. Um, I, I think we need to be talking more about risk tolerance. Uh, interesting conversation to have with the board. I was working with a society where the president spoke up and said, you know, I have a really strong desire to leave this association better than I found it. Mm-hmm. So anytime we're talking about taking a risk, it makes me very nervous because I'm afraid I won't be able to do that. So the board decided that uh, the solution to that was to uh, budget for innovation. And they actually have an innovation fund now that allows the board to go borrow money for some experiments, knowing that they might fail. It's built into the budget, uh, so it's not going to reflect poorly on the president or, or anybody else that's willing to take a risk within the association. I thought that was an innovative way to uh, to respond to that. Oh, I love um, that. The other thing is, is I think we need to be asking uh, if we were going to put ourselves out of business, how would we do it? Mm-hmm. Or how can we disrupt ourselves? Mm-hmm. I think that's a more proactive way to helping pave a strong future for the organization than it is to wait for stuff to be done to us. And then the last thing that I would say, and this might be the most important, Kiki, I, the, the future is so uncertain and the pressures are so great. And this is a really, uh, being an association professional can be a 24 seven, 365 day a year job. I'm keenly aware that, that, uh, executives are getting, they're getting texts at night. They're getting emails at night. They're supposed to be responsive to members and to the board. Um, Part of my next work is really about helping association professionals figure out how to do strategy and do it well, Mm -hmm. but also how to take themselves out of the equation so that they can see with fresh eyes, whether that's a mini sabbatical, whether it's taking yourself to a coffee shop, whether it is working from home one day a week. Um, I think at least one day a month needs to be set aside on strategy and strategy only. And that means not doing what you normally do that day of the month. So we need to be changing up how we're working because what we need to be able to do on behalf of our associations is changing. It's tougher than ever before. No question about that. Sustainability is a huge issue for a lot of associations. So my question to association professionals today is what are you doing to keep yourself fresh so that you can help your association stay fresh? I love that. Oh, oh my gosh. I have to, you know, and, and so many ideas. I mean, one, I need to follow up with you to ask you how you come up with better questions, right? That's for another time. 
I also I wanted to ask if you on the on the business models front, are there favorite resources that you have? Another thing that you said made me think about design thinking and how one of the activities that they do is they go to some place that is unusual, that is uncomfortable, that's not the typical place, just so that they can get fresh eyes and get a new perspective on on the way to look at some of the problems that they're facing. Oh my gosh, there are so many other things I want to talk to you about. Mary Well, Byers, let's talk again. You're amazing. Um, Thank you. So where can people find you online? Where, where can they get more resources? Where can they contact you? Uh, the easy place is marybyers.com. Okay. Uh, we also, there's a YouTube channel if you look for associations today. And then finally, I just uh, launched an online learning program at leadwiselearning.com. And much of what we talked about today is there. It's a self-paced study course, uh, helping association professionals think about what we're not always talking about in the boardrooms, but what's coming next and what's coming down the pike so that they can be ready to lead their associations. That's wonderful. Erin wants to know where you're speaking next. I'm actually going to be with the Florida bar in oh. a, in Florida. So uh, there you have it. And uh, from there I head to Chicago. Uh, one of the great parts of my job is that I just get to go meet associations where they are. Um, I, and I, I, I just love talking associations. So if anybody's interested in just a, a connection, uh, reach out to me via email mbuyers at marybuyers.com. I'll send you a link to my schedule. Uh, and I'm happy to talk with you about what's uh, on your heart, what's on your mind. Well, that's wonderful. Thank you so much for being my guest today, for being our guest, Mary. And uh, thanks to all of you for participating. I, I'm looking over here because this is where my Facebook live group is on this screen over here. Thank you so much for being a part of, of this wonderful chat today. Please go out there. National Volunteer Week. If you're listening to this live, please go out there and thank your volunteers this week. And don't forget, don't forget that we have these shows every week. So next week, I'm going to be in Norman, Oklahoma, recording a course uh, for Next Thought. But you know what? I'm going to be interviewing them about online course development uh, and educational options for associations. I hope you enjoyed the show today. If you like the show, please be sure to like, thank, subscribe, and do all the things to share the love. And be sure to join the private Facebook group for Association Chat, where there's more delight and intrigue that awaits. Until next time, everyone, keep asking questions to learn every day. As Joseph Campbell once said, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. Have a great week, everyone. Yes. And yes, yes. If you're still listening, the shows are archived right after we log off of here. You'll be able to see this within like 10 minutes. It's going to offer the replay. And then if you look on iTunes and Google Play in about a week, you should see the latest audio episode of the podcast version. So thanks for tuning in and please tune in again. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye, everybody. Thank you, Mary. You're amazing. Thanks for listening to this episode of Association Chat. If you like this episode or even just the concept of the show, please subscribe and share it with your friends. We'd love to have them here.